Is sin the cause of illness and disabilities? That's the question we're discussing today on The Hero of the Story, presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of The Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you focus on the gospel in every area of your life and ministry. I'm Aaron Armstrong, and with me, as always, is Brian Dembozik. Brian, we are uh, navigating a very interesting, not at all challenging topic in uh, the life and ministry of Jesus today. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of what we do. We we just take the the easy ones, right? The gimmies. Yeah, you know, and there's nothing easier to discuss than what causes illness and disabilities. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, show's over. So we're good. We're good. <laughs> good night, everybody. But. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but we're um we're uh, this actually is a really important and 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 is a very complicated question that we're looking at and we get to see uh see something pretty incredible in the ministry of Jesus um looking at John chapter 9 where he heals a he heals a blind man and um you know and it's just this this fascinating encounter that we see. So, how about um, you give a give us the lay of the land? Where's this? Where is this happening in his ministry? Uh, what's going on around it? Why basically? Why is Jesus doing this at all? Yeah. So, if you have listened to the last couple of episodes, the last few, we were moving backward in time. We we kind of jumped ahead near the end of Jesus' ministry and we're stepping backwards to the beginning. This is where we're going back near the end of his ministry again. Um, Jesus, this is the later stage of his earthly ministry. He has just debated some scribes and Pharisees before this. And he is in the middle of teaching at the Feast of Dedication. And after we're done here, he's going to leave for Perea and then it's going to, again, keep that, that movement toward the cross and the empty tomb. So this is the latter stages. Um, and as you said, Aaron, the, the thing about this is you, as you look at John 9 and add this to my ever-growing list of some of my favorite passages in Scripture, uh, a long list. This is on that list. I just love this narrative. I'll explain a little bit why later. A uh, very personal good reason for this. But the, the most of this chapter 9 is not challenging. The miracle itself um, what happens with the man who was healed, his interaction with the leaders. It's actually, there's a lot of humor in this passage, which is enjoyable. The challenges at the very beginning, which is what we're going to talk about in, in, a, in a second or two, the disciples and their question that they pose to Jesus about the man, why the man was born blind, that that's the part that can trip us up. That's the part that, that can be a little bit more challenging to get our arms around. But then once we get past that again, I think the the meat, what's here in, in its entirety, is, is not that as challenging. Let's dig into that right now. I mean, what is, uh, so the disciples ask this question at the at the beginning of this encounter. Um, and they, they say basically, what has this guy, who sinned that this guy um, isn't, isn't able to see? So who's at fault? Yeah. It, yeah, and they ask, is it him or his parents? Yeah. Um, so it's very specific. And, and the, the thinking here is, is they, are, they are employing typical Jewish thinking in that day. And the thinking was this, that all infirmities could be traced directly toward sin, a specific sin. So the, the Jewish mindset in that day was this man is blind, therefore sin had to be committed 
to lead him to this condition of blindness. Um, you see this in the book of Job. Um, that's what Job's friends, in air quotes, they came, and that was basically their argument to Job. Look, you're in a mess right now. What did you do wrong? And he kept saying, I didn't do anything wrong. And, and they kept saying over and over again, well, you had to have done something wrong because this would not be happening to you. Bad things like this don't happen apart from sin being a reason. You're being disciplined by God. What did you do? Just confess and, and get over it. Um, so we see this over and over again in Scripture, and that's what uh, Jesus' disciples are bringing to bear here, this, this assumption. Um, but we know that this myth um, is indeed a myth and is not correct thinking. It's, it's, a, it's a wrong assumption. Um, so they're, they're thinking, getting back to their original question, in their mind, in their logic, if the man was born blind, and that's, that's an important part of it, ha- what happened that was wrong? What sin led him to that? Does it make any sense that he sinned in the womb to lead his blindness? What, no, what does that look like? That, that's hard to imagine. But then the other option that they're wrestling with, well, maybe his parents sinned, but then there seems like this unjustness that the son would pay for the sins of the parents. So that's what they're wrestling with. And they have, they're not able to, at this point, understand that their premise is faulty. Yeah. And thinking about our own, own experience here, how often do, do we still fall into this kind of trap that, um, I mean, you see this a lot with, you know, the more callous views of, um, why people live in, why people live in and experience poverty, for example, it's like, well, it must be their fault. Um, that that this is the case, as opposed to um, there is in many of these situ in many situations that we see, whether it's a, a a physical disability, a mental disability, or just circumstances um, that someone lives lives in and with, sin is only the cause of those things in the sense that sin affects everything in the world. And so the the world being subject to futility um, leads to, um, leads to the imperfections of the human body. It leads to these these broken systems that exist in the world. But that doesn't mean that 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 should not equate person X sinned, therefore they are experiencing some kind of punitive judgment, which is demonstrated in the fact that they have a physical or mental disability or live in poverty. Those things are not always the case. Yeah, but we have to be careful here not to dismiss the idea that sin can directly result in difficult situations. It, it could result in an illness. Um, if we are living unwisely, living in a sinful way, um, it could have consequences. Um, poverty, you know, if, if, if I'm sitting with, with how I'm handling my money and so forth, I'm not being a good steward, it could lead to that. So we, we, it would be wrong of us to say that it will never do that, but just as wrong that it always does or it yes. has to be rooted. Many times, yeah, illness, infirmity, even poverty, those things, it is simply more of because of the general condition of a fallen world that we're in. But we see scripture refuting this idea over and over again. You know, even Job that I mentioned, that's one of the main lessons that we learned from Job. That's what Job had to learn. 
it wasn't a cause and effect that was at play here. It was God's sovereignty. He was doing something that, that Job could not see, and Job should have trusted him in that. Um, so Job uh, was allowed to go through that so that God might be glorified. Think about Joseph in the Old Testament. You know, his famous line near the end where he says to his brothers, what you intended for evil, God meant for good. And so we see here that hard things were not because of sin, but they were actually brought into his life to glorify God. We see it here in this chapter, what we're going to look at in a minute. We see it in the crucifixion of Jesus. Uh, this was a great evil that man was responsible for, but God brought good through it. And of course, we see it through the life of the church. How much adversity do we see the church going through, not necessarily because of sin, but because God is bringing them and refining them and, and using the church for his glory. So we have many places in scripture where this notion of the Jew, Jews in that day, of the disciples here in this passage, uh, can be can be refuted. The other thing that, that we should pay attention here is, and this isn't really a question, but it's just more an observation as we read the passage, as we read through through this interaction, um, that there is there's this this undertone of kind of a sad, hu- sadly humorous thing that is that is running through the the entire event. I mean, people are de- debating whether or not um, this man who who comes to them who is healed um, was the same one who was begging. And um, meanwhile, the man himself is saying, "Yeah, it was me." Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like. So, so like, this is one of those things that it's like, I, not being able, like going from being able to, from being blind to having sight doesn't radically change someone's physical appearance. (laughs) So it's like, they, they knew what this guy looked like if they saw him at all. And and he's standing there and in my mind, I just keep going, Hey, I'm right here. You're talking, I'm right here. It's me. I can yes. answer your question. Stop right. asking. It's me. Right. And they're just not I have paying a attention. name. Yes. <laughs> I have a name. <laughs> and and I love after this, so he he gets called in by the Jewish leaders and, and they're debating. They can't figure out what happened here. So what's their solution? To call his parents. Yep. <laughs> Let's get his parents. Yep. Let's get his mom and dad. Let's ask them. Hey, is this your kid? Hey, was he born blind? You know, just it just Did you guys do anything to make him blind? <laughs> Yeah, and uh, and I mean, then then it, and it just keeps getting more ridiculous because what do we see his parents do? His parents throw him under the bus too. And yeah. It's like, guys, come on! Now, th- now before we get you know cruel to them, um, like unnecessarily, it's like they were like they were all being threatened with expulsion from from the temple with with being forbidden from being able to worship yes. God. That's a big deal. And from my understanding, that would have had social implications as well. It absolutely would have. I mean, they would have been they would have been treated by by the rest of the the Jewish people basically like a Samaritan. Yeah. At that stage. It was significant, but it's still kind of funny imagining the the parents being like, uh uh-uh, uh, we're not going down for this one. Yeah. Son, you're no, on your own. Like, there he is yep. right there. Go ask him. Yep. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> you know, it's been a good and, run. And, and, and I love <laughs> You know, as you follow this, the progression of the story, I love the, the man who is blind. I love his boldness mm-hmm. that develops. You can see it. Uh, at first, he's like, I don't know what happened. All I can tell you is this. And then in verse 27, when they keep asking him over and over again, 
he finally at wit's end it seems he's like all right why do you keep asking this what do you want to become his followers too and it's this it's intentional kind of dig at them oh yeah it's um, it's it's sassy i like yeah, it yeah and it sets them off it has yeah. its entire intended result yeah and and by the way this is just a this is just a side observation another observational side note within our observational side note um one of the things that always frustrates me is when people approach the Bible as though it were wooden and emotionless. Yes. And so, um, and I know this is something you and I talk about a lot, um, off, you know, off air, but, um, I like, I mean, just moments like this where it's like, like, this is cheeky and like, and it's just so great that it's there um because he's not saying this in a way that's like oh would you like to be his follower too would you like to become his disciple no he's not doing that it wasn't a a an invitation moment where the organ starts playing just as i am all eight verses and he's doing an altar call this is firmly tongue-in-cheek this is basically what's your deal moment and they get, you know, I just love because after this, they, they kind of really going off on him again. It's like, hey, they play the Moses card. We're disciples of Moses and that kind of thing. And um, and, and the man basically says, you know what? Yeah. And I love this. My paraphrase. Look, you guys are starting to talk about theology. Yeah, that's over my head. That's over my pay grade. But here's all I know. I was blind and now I see. And the man betters the Pharisees. And you know that because if you look in 34, they, they don't, they can't answer it. All they do is they throw them out. They just reach them, like, kick them out, and they threw them out of the temple. And so, again, it's that there's humor in here, but it's a sad humor because it's all based on the blindness of the Pharisees. Um, but it's also beautiful to see the progression of this man and how one could argue the Pharisees were used to help that man move from an unawareness of who Jesus is to an awareness of who he is. And I mean, you see that fulfillment of it really in those last in those last few verses of the of the chapter. And again, you get to see another one of those. Hey, Jesus is God moments mm-hmm. because um, Jesus appears to him and he he because he, he'd heard that the man was thrown out of the temple and he went out and sought him out. And he says to him, do, do you believe in the son of man? And this guy, he just says, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Like, basically, he's like, I will, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, and it's Jesus. Almost, it's, you have to wonder, is he sticking his toe in the pool there? Is he kind of, like, playing a coy, wondering, maybe I, it is you. Maybe. But maybe. I don't want to be a dumbhead and say it to you if it's not. So <laughs> Yeah, it could be. And then Jesus says, you've seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking to you. So this is one of those one of those up to this point still relatively rare outright direct assertions of Jesus' identity by Jesus. Exactly. Then, because we, we have to understand son of man is a messianic title. Correct. Uh, some people misunderstand that phrase and think, oh, it's just an emphasis on his humanity. No, no, it's a messianic title going back to Daniel pre- predominantly in some other Old Testament passages. Correct. And then what does this guy do? He says, I believe, Lord, and then he worshipped him. Mm-hmm. So here, so here's the deal. If Jesus was not fully divine, he would have been sinning in accepting and receiving this man's worship. Yes. 
So that's verse 38. Verse 39, yeah. had Jesus not been divine and not claimed to be divine, verse 39 would have to read, and then Jesus stopped him and said, don't worship me. Kind of like we see in Revelation where Correct. John mistakenly starts worshiping an angel and the angel says, no, 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 no. You yeah, can't he's like, do I'm that. a servant like you. Don't do that. So verse 39 is instructive as Jesus picks up and just moves on and says, I came to this world for judgment and continues teaching. And his lack of correcting correcting the man who was blind affirms his acceptance of the worship. And here's just one more of those those little jabs. I mean, we've we've talked about how uh, we were talking a little bit about about this on, uh, I believe, our last episode. Um, and one of the things we did, one of the things we mentioned is, is that 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 the Jewish leaders they understood who Jesus was saying he was, um, and they wanted to kill him for it. And so we see that as Jesus is having this interaction with the formerly blind man, whose name we never get to know. Um, we see in verse 40 that some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and asked, we aren't blind too, are we? The Pharisees were right there. Yeah. And and you have to read again, how did they say that? And it seems to me it's better to be, that was kind of sarcastic, roll in the eyes, um, self-righteous, oh, Next thing you know, you're going to say that we're blind. The Pharisees, we're blind. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, Jesus puts them right in their place afterwards and says, if you were blind, you wouldn't have sinned. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. So basically, you're thinking that you're not blind proves your blindness. Yeah. Yeah. And it is just... Yeah, this is, it's just such a powerful passage. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like, why it's such a great passage. Yeah. It's a fun one to, to study through. It's a fun one to teach. So let's, uh, I mean, we've already started to walk through a lot, of, a lot of the, how would you walk through this with someone who you're discipling? But let's, uh, let's, let's get into that too. Um, although before we do, I think, that there, I think that there is something that's important and it's kind of embedded in that last little jab that, uh, that Jesus gave. I mean, he says, he says to them after their, their presumably sarcastic remark, he says, if you were blind, you wouldn't have sinned. But now that you say, we see your sin remains. What he is saying to them as he's putting them in their places is you're missing it. You've been, missed the whole point. It's the same thing that he told them in John five. It's the same thing he's going to tell them when they arrest him falsely. And it's the same thing that he, they're going to see. Um, they're going to see when he's on the cross and after he rises again and after his disciples start to preach as well, that they just kept missing it. And that, that he makes this connection that it's like, there is a they they may not be physically blind but they are spiritually and that is important for us to remember as we are going out in our mission to make disciples because what we're not like our that is the significant thing people can't see what they can't see we need God, and we can't convince people with a good enough argument or with signs and wonders or any of these kinds of things to actually believe this. God has to work in their hearts. And fortunately, God goes with us. And we can be confident that he is going to work through the words that we speak. 
so that those who are blind will have sight. Yeah, it, it gets to the, to, to the gospel here so evident that Jesus came to provide that spiritual sight, that we are blind. It's not Physical sight was important in this account, but that's something that is inferior to the spiritual sight that the Pharisees needed, that man who was blind needed, um, in addition to his physical sight. And that's what we all need, as you're talking about, Aaron. And it reminds us of this gospel that God has got to work in our hearts and our minds to open us to the truth and beauty of the gospel so that we can trust in Jesus and be saved. Um, and then tie that in with Jesus' claim of divinity as we talked about. And you can see the gospel laid, laid bare here pretty, pretty, pretty strongly. All right. Now let's get back into it um, in terms of really practical discipleship advice that we would have coming out of this passage. So um, how about you uh, hit us with the first, the first big idea? Yeah, I think the first one that we, we said a minute ago, you said it, is, is we, we can't read the Bible as being flat. Um, and again, it's so easy to do this, that especially if you're reading too quickly, you're not taking your time um, and, and stepping into the account and really trying to imagine all the rich details, remembering everything we read is true. This is a true account. This is the his- history that we're reading here. And it's real people. It's not made up flat, one-dimensional characters. This is a real person, this man who was born blind. And we don't know how many years he lived, what his life was like, but he was real. He had feelings, he had thoughts, he had fears and so forth. The parents were real that we talked about. Their fears of being evicted from the temple were real. And so you add that as you read this and you let your sanctified imagination wander for a minute and you wonder what what was going on here? What what was the tone of, of the voice? What were the facial expressions? What was the purpose? And again, you, you do this within safe guardrails. We don't want to go too far and we never want to build a teaching off of what we're talking about now. But to add that reality to it, to, to find that humor when it's there. Um, to, not everybody was a robot delivering what they said in a robotic monotone cadence. And so to, to, it's pretty easy there to see his sarcasm when, when the man asked, do you want to be his disciples too? And so not to read past that. It, it just adds more enjoyment to the scriptures. It adds more meaning. But also, again, I really believe it reminds us this is real. This is not fiction. This is real. Yeah, 100%. And I think another thing that we we should take take away is really look at the the progression that there that is there i mean you have you have this very clear picture of who jesus is throughout this passage and in fact the the pharisees themselves actually help reveal this picture in their debate um and so they so when they when they hear about what's happened um, remember, one of the things we have to remember too is is that this all happens on the on the Sabbath. Um, Jesus's favorite day to tussle with the Pharisees seems yes. to be the Sabbath, um, and that's Sunday just Sunday was his fun day. That's right. I mean, it's Saturday. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, so, so they they st- immediately start debating about because they're like, oh, we know who this is who did this, um, and. 
they're like, well, this guy cannot possibly be from God because he keeps violating the Sabbath. And they're like, and then others of them are like, well, who else is doing, who else, how else can he do these signs and wonders? And so they're split in who he, in who he is, but they're mentioning the fact that he's a prophet and a miracle worker, that he's unique, that he's, and we see in this passage that he's even from God. And all of that ultimately resolves in this, um, this last step that we see in verse 35 of the, of the man confessing faith and believing in him and worshiping him. And so, um, that's something that we need to remember is when we're studying the book of John, for example, that's the whole point of the book. We see that at the end, John, in fact, wrote, he said, I've written all of these things so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ that he is the Messiah, that he is the one that God promised to send to save us all from our sins. That's a big deal. Yeah, and I think it's really helpful as as we are discipling somebody to, to acknowledge that we all go through a similar progression. Now, the details may be vastly different, the timing and so forth, but it's it's a typical progression to understand who Jesus is more rightly at first to lead into salvation. And then even when, when we... Uh, are in Christ, there's still this progression of learning more about him and understanding more clearly who he is. So that's a great help. You know, one one thing that I think is um, is something we can't miss over, and this is, goes back to what I shared earlier, uh, that this is one of my favorites for a personal reason. And I just wanted to kind of share that um, as I wrap up at least my thoughts on this passage. And it's back in that beginning part where the disciples are asking why the man was born blind. And Jesus in verse 3 responds that neither this man nor his parents sinned. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. And so right there we see Jesus, basically my paraphrase saying, you guys are missing it. This man was born blind by the will of God for this moment, for what's going to happen. And we know that God was glorified, not only in his healing in that day, but look, we're still studying about it 2,000 years later because it's here recorded in scripture. So this man was born blind to provide encouragement to us that Jesus is the Messiah. He is God. He's worth us believing in and following. I would dare say that if we are able to pull aside this man in heaven or in the new heavens and earth one day and ask him, was it worth it? I dare say he's going to say, by all means, by all means, however many years I had to go through begging, blind, whatever, being kicked out of the temple and it was all worth it. And so this passage, this story was actually great comfort to me and my wife when we learned that our second child, our daughter, in the womb was missing a limb. She is born with a condition called fibular hemimelia. So she was born without a lower right leg and and part of her bones in her left leg are not formed correctly either. And so when we found out about this, uh, when she was still in the womb, it really was a struggle for us. We, again, she's our second child. Our first son was born uh, fully able and so forth. And we kind of were assuming that of God. Uh, We didn't even think of the possibility that we could have um, a daughter with limb differences. And and so it was a a time for us to grieve 
Uh, and I know not all grieving is the same and grieving is not a contest. So somebody uh, listening right now may, that and they their family may be going through much harder things could be saying right now, oh, I wish I had it that easy. Um, it, it's not meant to be a contest. It's meant to say we we had to grieve in in that time what we were losing this notion incorrect notion assumption upon God that he would give us a fully formed child uh, you know me as a father will she be able to walk can I walk her down an aisle on her wedding day for example will she be made fun of and, and all these things will she be able to get around and so we were really struggling for a spell and God used this passage to encourage us greatly. And this is where I hope it's encouragement to those listening. And I hope it's something we can use to encourage others in our discipleship. That God's truth here, when Jesus said that this man faced difficulty in, in an infirmity even for the glory of God. And it was God's way of putting his arm around us and saying, I will use your daughter for my glory. And he has and continues to do that, thankfully. It was a great encouragement. It was a great comfort. It helped us weather that season and get us to a point of rejoicing in the Lord. We do not rejoice that our daughter has a limb difference. We do not rejoice in the adversity it causes uh, her and brings into her life. But we rejoice that God is sovereign and he uses that for his good and glory. And we trust in that. Such an important lesson. So physical uh, infirmities, you name it, different trials, tribulations, whatever we're going through, this beginning of John 9 can be an anchor to us to recognize that God is in control. He's got a plan and he will be glorified one way or another. Brian, that's a really good good thought to actually end this episode on. So with that, thanks for chatting about this passage today. And thank you all for listening to today's episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or on whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com. 